0: Hello, everybody, and once again, may I welcome you and yours to what is going to be yet another spectacular podcast. My name is W.J. Sheehan, and I am the author of a series of books entitled Bigfoot Terror in the Woods Sightings and Encounters. And I would encourage you to partake of them. They're available at Amazon in paperback and ebook formats. And if you're an audio-type buff, you could get Volumes 1 through 6 at Audible, iTunes, and Amazon. So show your support for what we're doing and buy about 600 of them. (laughs) (laughs) 605, to be exact. And without any further ado, may I introduce you to my co-host and brother, KJ Sheehan. Kevin, how are you? I'm good. How about you, Bill? Marvelous. You think
1: that was a push at 605? You know, I couldn't contain myself there.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Maybe I should have held back at 600.
1: I mean, just to make it clear, if somebody orders more than 605, you can accommodate those orders,
0: right? I can. And if you buy 605, you get one free. That's all right. So uh, there you have it. Jump on it. Awesome! Oh, my it is awesome. I was just saying to my brother and to you folks now that we're expecting zero or sub-zero temperatures over the next couple of days at some point in my neck of the woods.
1: Whoa! Yeah, there's something strange about sub-zero. Yeah, I am not ready for that. Just to be clear. <laughs>
0: And you know, Kev, I have a lot of glass in my house. And uh, thankfully, when uh, we put this place together, I had those uh, hanging blinds installed. Right. And I found that on these really cold nights, uh, the temperature won't raise to the level I have it set at in the house. Really? Yeah, because of the coldness coming through the uh, the windows. So what I do, though, is... I turn all of the blinds shut, and then it
1: starts to elevate. Yeah, well, I guess you get a little pocket of air right between uh, between the blinds and the uh, window. Window, yeah, just shielding it from blowing in. Another layer of insulation. There you go. So
0: that wasn't exactly why that I bought them. I bought them so people couldn't peer in, you know. But heck, it works. Hey, it's a bonus. (laughs) It's a bonus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, my brother, what do you have today in our cryptids in the news and other oddities Well, first off,
1: I'll start and say, well, it's not zero here um, (laughs) in North Carolina, but it's cold, you know, relatively cold. We got two inches of snow last night, which is exciting for us. Uh And uh, I just walked out to my truck to put something in it with just a... uh, kind of fleece jacket on, and I came in, and I was like, whoa, it's cold out there.
0: Yeah, did uh, Bigfoot bend your uh, sleigh in half? He
1: didn't, he didn't. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, I can ride this. Exactly, exactly. Crunch. (laughs) Yeah, but I'm doing okay, and today we're going to cover a couple of different things in uh, Cryptids in the News and Other Oddities. First, we're going to go to the news. We'll start there. So uh, a couple of our listeners wrote in about this, too, but I had uh, noticed it in the news, but I love the fact that people are tipping me off as well. And that is, Bill, I don't know if you saw it either in the letters or on the news, but on uh, about a week ago, on Friday, January 22nd, an Oklahoma state representative filed a bill to create a bigfoot hunting season in Oklahoma, you think this is legit? I don't think so. <laughs> 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 that, well, it's legit that he did file the bill. So it's no, I mean, representative it's... Justin Humphrey. Okay, he filed the bill, and uh, that would uh, that would allow uh, them to draft rules and dates for hunting licenses and fees to catch the elusive creatures. Uh,
0: You know, again, this is one of those things, Kev, where I I don't know, man, if it's legit, you don't just jokingly bring a bill before the house. Yeah, I don't know.
1: You know. This sounds pretty strange, doesn't it? It's Oklahoma, you know. I mean, uh, (laughs) some of the folks are saying, you know, it just will bring in a lot of... uh, uh revenue you know for the state right because they didn't say how much they were i'm assuming it's going to be a pretty decent fee to uh-huh. uh get your bigfoot hunting license <laughs> and then they're saying that it'll bring a lot of tourism to the state which you know i mean i don't hate oklahoma but there's not a lot of reason to go there for tourism you know
0: uh-huh right uh, it, yeah i'm watching yeah, well, a lot of, we know those tornado watches race around Yeah, there.
1: yeah. I mean, I've driven across the state in the summertime, and it is pretty cool when those supercells are brewing out there over the plains.
0: Yeah, that's creepy. It's all get-out seeing those things. Exactly. So, so you think there's, got to, there's some legitimacy to this? Well, it's I mean, an legitimacy,
1: action. this guy definitely filed this bill. I mean, this okay. is on one of the major news outlets, this story. Okay, Um, And uh, and then they have commentary about it. You know, so, you know, some of this commentary, you know, talks about, well, it's a good way to drum up some extra revenue for the wildlife department. And then Mm -hmm. other folks, you know, come in and they're saying this is a horrible idea. You know, one, somebody actually finds a Bigfoot and kills it because they have, you know, a hunting tag killing it. And that's, you know, that's, you know, this a few of the folks that commented on it said this is kind of like murder to them because, you know, we know that these creatures, you know, or we think that these creatures are pretty intelligent, right, to be Mm -hmm. as elusive as they are. Yeah, yeah. And then killing it is one thing. And then, of course, a bunch of people chimed in like I was thinking, you know, some hunter will get spooked by another hunter and just shoot the other hunter. (laughs) Well, that happens anyway right now with deer hunting, unfortunately. Absolutely. But, you know, some big guy walking around in camo, you know, a six-foot-fiver, looks a lot more like a Bigfoot if you're carrying a Bigfoot hunting license than a deer.
0: Yeah, caution, uh, hunters in Oklahoma. If you're tall, don't wear a ghillie suit.
1: Yeah, and if you're tall and you're uh, sporting your COVID-19 grown-out beard, you probably don't want to be roaming around in the forest.
0: Right, and if it's not your habit to shower frequently, (laughs) you may want to stay home. (laughs) Well, you know, I tell you what, you know, obviously, Kev, there's a couple of sides to this fence, kill, no kill. Uh, But the idea that they're drumming this up, I tell you what, if somebody produces one uh, in open season, that's going to be a heck of a, a, a day. I mean, whether you like it or not, Uh, A joke or no joke, if somebody produces a Bigfoot in Oklahoma with a tag on it, that's going to be a heck of a day.
1: No, Yeah, no doubt about that.
0: You know, I mean, you know my feeling. I'm not out to shoot these things, you know, unless one tries to get the jump on me. Uh, But, uh, uh, you know, I don't even hunt. So I'm not hunting deer and I have nothing against it, believe me. Uh, But I don't hunt anything, deer, elk, you know, rabbits, crows, whatever you're shooting. I really don't shoot anything unless it's inanimate. Uh, But like I say, in a a moment of self-defense, I'll plug anything.
1: (laughs) I think you might shoot some squirrels, too. I'm just saying. (laughs) Only if I'm hungry. Especially when they're poaching the bird feeder.
0: Yeah, well, you little nasty squirrel. Mm -hmm. Would you be fooling with me now? Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, so
1: we got that story in the news, which is a little lighthearted. And now Mm -hmm. we're going to go into the dark and creepy and not a lot of humor, honestly. So uh, I apologize. I'm usually good for a good laugh, but it's hard to laugh about this creep fest.
0: Okay, well... We don't necessarily have to laugh all the time. That is correct.
1: (laughs) So we are going into Japan. Yeah. To the suicide forest. Oh, that is some creep fest over there, man. It is an absolute creep fest. Wow. In Japanese, and I'll do my best Japanese pronunciation, it's known as Aokugahara, also known as the Sea of Trees. Hmm. and it's uh, on the northwestern flank of Japan's Mount Fuji, which Mm -hmm. I've been to Japan a bunch of times, as you know, Bill. I haven't been to the suicide forest, thank God. Mm -hmm. Um, But I have seen Mount Fuji in the distance, and it is one of the most spectacular sights.
0: I don't think many people are aware of just how much... Uh, I know me personally, before I knew any better, if I thought of Japan, I thought of an overcrowded city like Tokyo with multi-story buildings and people packed in like sardines. But Japan has a tremendous amount of beautiful wilderness.
1: Absolutely. It's a very large country, too. You know, you think of it like it's this little tiny island. Yeah. You know, when you look at the globe, but it's a pretty large country and uh, it's mostly rural. Yeah. You know, and quite beautiful. Yeah, that's the amazing thing. You know,
0: uh, you look at it, my thoughts are, as you said, small island, too many people, overcrowded. Yeah. But the reality is that most of the people live in a couple of tight areas, and then once you get outside of there, it's just
1: they have a tremendous respect for the land too, right? Absolutely, yeah. And, yep. uh And it's, it. you know, of course, for thousands of years, it was quite an isolated country, mm-hmm. you know, because it's an island and it's pretty yeah. far away from everything else. And, you know, that's part of, you know, not to get into the whole story here, but part of what happened in World War Two, right? They had their emperor and who was, a you know, believed to be like a straight descendant of God. And, um, you know, they believed that the rest of the world was literally out to get them. You know, and they were so different than the rest of the world because they were this isolated island.
0: Yeah, it was a sad state of affairs that you could get into people's head to that extent. Oh, terrible, you know?
1: yeah. But, you know, you could see it happening. Well, wow. Yeah, so.
0: So I mean, how do we make our way around to this
1: uh, nasty suicide forest? Yeah, so this forest, uh, if you go out there, which I hope none of our listeners do, And I'll tell you why. So, first off, you know, I know it's tough times out there for sure. And uh, we don't want anybody committing suicide, period. You know, uh, there's no no reason for that. Um, Everybody has more good that they can do in the world. There's no reason to commit suicide, no matter how bad things look. Right. But when you go out to this suicide forest in Japan... It is a very creepy place. And hundreds of people have committed suicide there per year over many years. So, which is, you know, the highest, uh, uh, I think it's the highest based on everything I read, uh, number of suicides at any one location.
0: And w- what uh, uh, my understanding is that they have a lot of signs around there, too, uh, trying to em- encourage people to turn around and not do this.
1: Yes, very. The, Japan is very aware. Well, first off, let me back up Japan Go ahead. Uh, has more suicide in their culture than other cultures. Like, it's uh-huh. kind of viewed with less negativity than, say, here in the U.S., like, it's oh, a. Yeah it it uh can be viewed as not quite as a positive thing but you know it it has a longer tradition of suicide and and we know that you know going all the way back to feudal times with the samurai right they yeah. would kill each other kill 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 themselves not kill each other they did that too but they <laughs> they would kill yeah. themselves as a way to save honor yeah and of course the uh, kamikazes yeah, we're convinced that if they killed themselves, it was an honorable way to go for their families yep. and their survivors.
0: Yeah, and towards the end of the war, uh, men, women, and children were jumping off cliffs because uh, they were told that the Americans were evil monsters and were going to torture them and. Uh, do awful things to them. So rather than suffer that fate, they were jumping to their death into the sea. Absolutely.
1: Now, I think that's a little bit different, right? That's the pure propaganda of the last thing you want is to fall into the hands of these American GIs, you know. Right. Now, what's interesting, right, our our father, uh, Bill, fought in the Pacific in World War II, and, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, the Japanese were actually pretty gruesome To the Americans over there and the Chinese for that matter.
0: Yeah, really bad. Yeah, really bad.
1: But anyway, let's get back to the suicide forest. Yeah. So there's a couple of things about this place, or more than a couple, that are absolutely creepy. And I'm pulling some of these points from a a story that was written um, on the website of our friends uh, called Mental Floss. And uh, so I pulled a couple of facts from there. So this place is about 13 and a half miles, 13 and a half square miles. So it's not huge, but it's a very dense forest. And the trees and root systems and stuff have grown over a bed of black lava. Huh. So it's kind of strange, right? Like you come yeah. in and, you know, you wouldn't think there'd be anything living right on the lava field. Like if you go over to Hawaii and uh, on the big island and you... Walk along the the old lava fields, there's not much growing there, you know, Mm -hmm. the black lava. Here you have a very dense forest. And then, of course, you go out there today in modern day, it's in a very rural place, not much cell coverage. And then apparently like the uh, high level of uh, uh, metallic and iron in the lava causes uh, uh, compasses not to behave correctly. Oh,
0: that's interesting.
1: Yeah, so you wander into this forest and a lot of people that go into the forest, you know, even not to commit suicide, of course, they bring tape with them, like a roll of tape. And okay. you have to literally leave a trail of tape in order to find your way out. Wow, that's a strange freaking place, huh? Yeah, yeah. Like super,
0: super creepy, right? You know. It's like people get disoriented or lost or yeah, turned around so in there, dense, you it's so dense,
1: you can't see, your compass doesn't work, your phone doesn't work, and then it's, uh, you know, it's also rumored to be a haunted place. Mm. And this gets really creepy, okay? All right. All right. Are you ready? I'm ready. <laughs> Lay it on me. So going back in time in this forest, there is uh, a, rumored to be a tradition of ubasute, which is uh, a brutal form of euthanasia that translates roughly to like you know you have uh, an old ancestor that uh, like uh, an old uh, grandmother or something like that and. It's desperate times in old-time Japan. You don't have enough food, so you would bring, uh, you know, your old grandmother out to the forest and abandon them. What? Yeah. Oh, man. Again, not enough food for the family, so you bring the elderly out to the forest and leave them there. And they and they end up dying of dehydration, starvation, or exposure.
0: And these people are aware of what's going on when they're left there.
1: They are, you know, as long as their brain is still with them, you know. Yeah. So then, you know, the, the one of the reasons why people think the forest is haunted is some believe that these ghosts, or they're called yure, uh, are the ghosts of these abandoned ubasut. Um, hmm. So they they're there in the forest. Of course, they're kind of upset, right, and vengeful. Mm-hmm. Because of what happened to them and the awful way that they died, um, and then they stay there and they torment visitors and and you know lure them who are sad and down and vulnerable into killing themselves.
0: How many of these people do we estimate, uh, or how many of these ubasut? Do we believe uh, uh, were had their lives? Uh, yeah, there's basically no, no
1: sign of that, and it's and it's uh, kind of a legend. But mm-hmm. you know, in our world, Bill, with this legend, it probably happened.
0: You know. Yeah, like where well, has smoked his fire.
1: Exactly. You know? Exactly. What a freaking creepy thing, yeah. man! Pretty. <laughs> excuse me. Pretty awful. Yeah, And then, so this place is so uh, dense and so easy to get lost. They say that, you know, if you go there, and people do go there to see the forest and not to kill themselves, right? You can imagine right. that. Right. And even people that want to go and look into the, you know, the... Uh, Jaws of Hell, you know, they, they're they tempted to go see the goat man or <laughs> see the suicide forest, try yeah, to yeah. lure them out to get a good look at these uh, evil spirits. They yeah. go there and they say that, like, if you wander off of any of the paths, you can really, it's very likely you discover some gruesome findings, you know, like <laughs> abandoned personal effects, human bones. You know, yeah, other yeah. remains of people that killed themselves.
0: Boy, oh boy, oh boy. Yeah. What a freaking house of horrors in the woods.
1: No doubt about it. No doubt about wow. it. Wow. And then they uh, they have searches there uh, every year, annual searches, since around 1970. Okay, so... 50 years, uh, they go out and volunteer. Now, they're not really looking for uh, people, but they're looking for the remains of people. Mm -hmm. Again, so many people kill themselves, you know. And they say by the early 2000s, 70 to 100 bodies were uncovered each year in the forest by these searchers. Well, you know, well,
0: I would imagine there are families that are wondering where their loved one is. Yeah. And so uh, this became a way, uh, uh, even for the police department, to close out a couple of cases uh, if they find these people in this nasty uh, wilderness area, you know? Yep, exactly. What a freaking creep. You want to talk about, man... You know, uh, I know people like to think, you know, oh, there's, everything's wrong with this and that in our country. But, man, we got it pretty good over here. And we got it really good over here. <laughs> yeah, and, well,
1: and, and, you know, we have a suicide problem here, too, right? Um, mm-hmm. As far as I'm concerned, if one person in the United States committed suicide, it's one person too many. You know, everyone right. has some reason to live. No one has to kill themselves, no matter how bad it might look.
0: That's right. Uh, Absolutely and there is right.
1: Available all the time. Um, yep. So you know, the, the kind of in closing on this, though, it's interesting. So it's, of course, the forest has this reputation, right, of being one of the number one places in the world where people kill themselves. Um, but it's also the place is just a creep fest. They say that the way the trees grow on this uh, bed of lava, they kind of uh, twist and turn and their roots of course wind across the forest floor in mm-hmm. treacherous threads so picture mm-hmm. you walking through here it's dark the forest is at itself is at the base of a mountain so the ground is very uneven yeah. and then the root the trees are so dense and the roots are growing across the surface of the lava You know, it's very easy to, like, trip and fall. And then apparently there's hundreds of caves there, too. Yeah. Well, you know, when
0: uh, when, uh, lava fields are formed, these magma pathways eventually dry up, right? There's no more magma moving through them. Then you have these little tunnels or sluiceways Mm. that can be hidden below the surface. Yeah. I mean, you could break through one of them and slide in or drop down. Uh, or uh, There's yeah, all kinds of nasty stuff that can go on there, not to mention turning an ankle or, uh, or breaking a leg or something, tripping and going down over there.
1: Yeah, and then one of the visitors that, that went to this forest, you know, and of course came back to tell about it, They described the silence inside this forest because the trees are so dense, like the wind doesn't come through there too well. The Mm -hmm. wildlife is extremely sparse. It's dark. They described it as chasms of emptiness. Hmm. And uh, this woman added that she cannot emphasize enough the absence of sound in the forest. And she writes, my breath sounded like a roar.
0: Hmm. Wow, that is freaking intense, man. Yeah, no thanks. And uh, where have we heard this absence of sound before? Ooh, uh, not that one has anything to do with the other per se, but...
1: You mean when weird? a creature might be around?
0: Yes.
1: Even the crickets don't make any sound? That's
0: correct. Yes, that's where we
1: heard You know, there's
0: some, something going on there, you know? Yeah. But that deathly silence, you know?
1: Yeah. And we talk with some of the other creepy stories, Bill, how some of these spirits, these evil spirits or demons prey upon those that are vulnerable. So certainly if you're wandering out contemplating taking your life yeah. and you're in this eerie, terrible place, and then you know, there's some spirits there, maybe it's from these folks that were put out there and abandoned, you know, these older folks. Maybe mm-hmm. it's some from some plain old demons. Yeah, Uh, you're certainly vulnerable. You're kind of on the fence, so to speak, of taking your life. You go to this place, it's hard to get out of there without taking your life, from what I read.
0: Yeah, and you know, uh, let's face it, uh, evil, whatever evil we're speaking about, would love to partake of taking advantage of the weak rather than the strong, right? Exactly. Exactly. They always look for their mark, somebody who's vulnerable, somebody who's a little downtrodden or uh, separated from the pack yep. and uh, make their move, you know? Yep, exactly. So, you know, that's why it's good, right? To have some good associations, good friends, church, you know, whatever your, your gig may be uh, to keep yourself uplifted. Absolutely. And even if you don't have
1: those things and you're thinking about Taking your life? I mean, suicide hotline. Call them. You know, yep. There's always someone to talk to.
0: Yep, yeah. No, it's fantastic. Fantastic. So, uh, boy, that was a strange th- topic for other oddities. <laughs> but, you know, y- you want to talk about odd. Uh, it doesn't get much odder than that in our uh society as we know it today, you know. Uh, no doubt about it. Very, very strange. Well, I got something really strange as well. And, uh, you know, you talk about weird areas, Kevin, like the suicide forest. This uh, account that I'm ba- about to read occurred in the Northeast here in an area which is known uh, to many as the Northeast Triangle.
1: Mm-hmm. I thought you have going talk it? about Lake Ronkakama.
0: No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Lake Ronkakama. <laughs> the Northeast Triangle. And it's weird the way there are these triangles spoken about uh, around the country. You have the Alaskan Triangle, the Northeast Triangle, the Bermuda Triangle. Uh, and if you folks know of any other triangles out there that you've heard of that – we're not aware of, uh, you know, bring it to our attention, but the Northeastern triangle, I believe it's, uh, part of Jersey, uh, New York, uh, Pennsylvania, uh, I'm not certain as to the extent of it, but, I I think I pretty much covered there, maybe a little portion of Connecticut, but listen to this, this is, this is one of these strange, things where you say to yourself, what? And uh, in 1979, oh, by the way, this was uh, uh, given to me by a fellow named uh, Guthrie Ennis, a resident of eastern Pennsylvania, and this is what Guthrie had to say. In 1979, I had gone into the eastern hill country of Pennsylvania deer hunting as was my normal routine in the fall of every year, At that time, I had a Jeep CJ with a full roll bar installed that I used for my hunts. In this particular location, I had parked about a hundred yards from the road and hiked into where I had set up a stand in the woods. So he's a bow hunter. We were already on the receiving end of some snowfall, but the deer population was robust. And so, on my very first morning, on the first day of the season, I had tagged a buck and left the woods. Four days later, on a Wednesday, I returned to the same area and parked in the same location as I had on Saturday. There was a light snowfall coming down as I entered the woods about 30 minutes before sunrise. I hiked in and climbed up into the stand in the hope of getting another buck. I sat there for about an hour, having seen nothing as of yet. Suddenly I heard something behind me that sounded like a car hitting a tree but more quietly than a high-speed crash. Visualize yourself clipping a tree while backing into your driveway at night and smashing your taillight in the process. It was more like a crunch than a loud impact, if you understand what I'm saying. This sound had come from behind me, which was the direction I had hiked in from as well as where I had parked the CJ. The area I was hunting in was private land, owned by a fellow I knew from work whose family owned it, and there was no one else but me in there that day. The road that I had come in on was old, rutted blacktop for the first quarter mile or so, and then it became nothing more than dirt, fire trail of sorts for the entire stretch leading uh, hold on for a second became nothing more than a dirt fire trail of sorts for the entire stretch leading up to where I had parked so it was a blacktop street kind of breaking up into what became like a dirt fire trail he's describing it as so Hearing this noise was very strange in regards to believing it was a vehicle crunching into a tree, with the only vehicle being mine, and it was parked in an opening on the shoulder of this trail. Two hours had passed. I hadn't seen a deer, which was very odd for the area, so I climbed down out of the sand. I secured my gear and started heading back to the truck. As soon as I was in sight range of my CJ, I could see the truck leaning on a tree. Two of its wheels were in the air, and part of its roof was up against a large tree that was next to it. Before I moved any further, I began to scope out what I could, looking for the potential culprits who had tipped my truck. Seeing nobody, I walked out to the truck. If the tree hadn't been there next to it, it would have been on its side, but the tree was holding it up at about the halfway point. The side of the hardtop was crushed in, and the window had popped out of its frame and smashed, which must have been what I had heard even at a couple of hundred yards' distance. Putting my gear down, I leveraged my body against the truck's roof, and it flipped back down to the upright position. I walked around the truck to see what, if anything else, had been damaged. It was then, as I looked down on the ground on the driver's side, that I saw large footprints in the snow along the side of the truck— As well as prints both coming to and leading away from the truck across the trail. They were huge bare feet, similar to a human's, only wider and longer, with the toes being very fat and wide. The snow was still falling, and what I was looking at had been made in about a two inch base of snow. With some additional snow having fallen into them. I immediately said to myself, huh, Bigfoot. Having seen the In Search Of show, as well as having heard the stories coming out of the Pacific Northwest, I frankly couldn't believe my eyes and the fact that this thing was able by itself to shove my jeep over and against this tree was rather remarkable. I was fortunate that it had landed in the exact position it had, otherwise I couldn't have toppled it back to the righted position alone. There had been many a tale told in this area of Pennsylvania about similar creatures being seen and even shot in the 1800s and early 1900s. But as far as I was concerned, they were old wives' tales, like those told about werewolves and the like. To date, I haven't so much as seen any further indication of them being around. And although I don't hunt anymore, being too old to do so, I know many others who do none of whom have who have stated seeing the creature in the state. It was very, very odd, to say the least, and I thought that you may be interested. Well, Guthrie, I am interested, and so are my listeners. And, folks, if you have an encounter, please do reach out to me and my brother at BigFootTerrorInTheWoods.com. What do you think of that, Kev? <laughs>
1: Pretty, pretty uh, strong evidence.
0: Pretty funky, you know? Yeah. I mean, there's no doubt in his mind. What do you think when you when you walk up and your jeep's leaning against a tree and there's big footprints in the snow?
1: Yeah, I mean, that's... Hello? Hello, it's pretty <laughs> significant. In a rural place, right? Yeah, come on. Hmm. And, uh, you know, it's interesting,
0: though. You see, he commented that there were tails around that area. Who knows what tails are, where he heard them from the 18 and 1900s. Hmm. So it's kind of weird, you know, uh, when we're snooping around and when you're snooping around for stories and antiquities uh, in relation to Bigfoot. There's stuff out there, you know, that we, we haven't have, uncovered. Yeah, there's a
1: lot of sightings, strong history of sightings in Pennsylvania.
0: Yeah. You know. Yeah, so there's... There's, there's, I told you, Kev, this is where the guard at work's brother took the snapshot of the print. That's right. That, that uh, he showed me all. on the iPhone. Yeah. And the guy wouldn't let me use
1: it. It's a weird thing, right? What's the big freaking deal? It's a picture with your hand next to you. it. didn't even have his face on it. Yeah, we're actually going to get to one of those questions, Bill, about the pictures uh, in uh, listener mail today, too. So it uh-huh. is weird that some people just... Well, let us publish it. But, again, folks, we still want you to, if you see something, say something. We honor your privacy 100%. Yeah, and,
0: uh, you know, if we have something come in, like uh, I last got the that picture, Kev, of the the woman from out in Colorado. Uh, that was a few months ago. Do you remember me showing that to you? Yeah, yeah. And uh, I had – spoken to her on the phone and I was looking at the picture it was difficult to discern what she was talking about but once I narrowed my eyes in on on what it was as she explained it uh, I could clearly see what looked like a footprint and then another one down to the right where it had stepped before it made that one And but some of these pictures you know, aren't really uh, – you know, I've had people kept show me pictures, vast panoramic views of areas where they had encounters, uh, countrysides, valleys, hillsides. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, but as far as uh, being worth anything to the viewer,
1: well, they're nice to look at, but you'd be like, what's that, you know? Yeah, well, in a lot of these, built today, they're taken with a mobile phone. And a mobile phone does a beautiful job. If it's taking a picture of a person, taking a picture of a landscape, a sunset, sunrise, I mean, phenomenal job. But when you take a picture of the ground, you know, it's not giving you much depth, uh, you know, depth perception related to, like, where the edge of the footprint is, you know, where the depression is and stuff like that, right? I mean, it's what you're seeing with your eye. And then you take a picture of it, the picture clearly is not as good in that kind of a setting. Whereas if yeah. you take a picture of a person, you know, sunset, sunrise, landscape looks just as good as if you were looking at it with your eye. Right. Now, the interesting
0: thing about the Bigfoot picture that was given to the security guard by his brother, uh, this was sent for no other reason than that it was one brother deer hunter talking to his brother deer hunter just showing him this incredible thing he stumbled across in the hills of Pennsylvania. Right. And it was a beautiful footprint. Yeah. He wasn't looking for Bill, the Bigfoot writer and podcaster, to even see it. It wasn't his intent for anybody other than to show it to his brother. Right. He didn't put it up on a YouTube channel, you know. Nowhere. Yeah. He didn't He didn't want me to do that. Yeah, no, I get it. So, you know, and it was an incredible, beautiful uh, footprint with his hand and hunting glove laying next to it. Uh, and it was big. I mean, this thing came from a Bigfoot, man. Huh. So, this, you know, there's stuff wandering out there, man. There were freaking things going on, the likes of which uh, people cannot imagine. Uh, And it's only those who experience them whose eyes are then open to the reality of such phenomena, you know. Mm. You know, who knows? Maybe out in this suicide forest there are some creepy things freaking flying around and wandering around in there uh, that the unprepared person uh, doesn't know what to do with. Well, especially the vulnerable person, right? Certainly. Certainly. Yeah. No, it's... there's creepy stuff out there, and man. There's nothing the creepy prepared. going
1: on if hundreds of people are killing themselves every year in this 13 and a half square mile place, right?
0: Yeah, yeah. It's like a, a magnet attracting yeah. them.
1: Yeah, just total
0: So just out. just like these haunted houses, right, where people are, are keep going back to them, you know, they want to investigate it. This team wants to investigate it. That team wants to investigate it. People are just drawn Back to it, and in my opinion for the wrong reasons, you know? Yeah.
1: So Some uh, people are drawn back to
0: it. Yeah, not me. <laughs> yeah, I'd have enough time flipping my CJ over and seeing footprints in the snow.
1: I'm terrified of the demonic stuff. You know, the creatures, you know, all right. The demonic stuff, no.
0: Yeah, well, you know. I don't
1: want to mess there's, with that.
0: Yeah, there's only one way you can fight that. Mm-hmm. And, uh,. Generally, it's prayer and preparation uh, long before the battle ever happens. You know, and just
1: in case, I got a cross around my neck. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just in case.
0: <laughs> so that's it. I figured I'd share that uh, story with you and the listeners tonight. Uh, the power of these creatures. You know, Kev. I think we discussed the story many, many months ago. About the uh, meat freezer. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's a good one. Now, when you think of some strength, characteristics of strength, that guy had through bolted a locking hinge, galvanized locking hinge with carriage bolts and a master lock uh, onto the outside of like an old Frigidaire floor freezer. And that sucker... Tore that lock and assembly off
1: the freezer. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm.
1: I mean, think about that. That is, like,
0: incredible, Some insane. pretty good
1: grip, number one, and some great strength, too.
0: Oh, it's off the charts. Yeah. You know, and when I was kind of looking at this story tonight to share it, I was thinking about the world's strongest men. You know, they have that competition, Kev? Yep. You ever see the part where they flip the cars? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They got to roll the car like a couple of times this way, then get on the other side and flip it a couple of times back. And they're a relatively small car. Like, who am I to call it small? Like, it, it's easy, you know? Yeah. Uh, I'm not even sure if they have engines in them. But you can see these guys got to put everything they got in it to get the first movement going. Yeah, yeah. Then they usually just get behind it and, like, Force it while it's moving and then get around the other side and do the same thing. But uh, you look at the size of those guys and then think about how much power a Bigfoot has. Ain't nobody on the world's strongest man ripping that uh, hinge and a master
1: lock off of that freezer. Now, that's a different kind of strength, you know. Yeah. Yeah, You can use your legs, number one, to, like, lift up the car. You know what I mean? Like, you can use those big muscle groups. You're ripping a lock off with your hands. I don't know how you do that. Yeah. Yeah, it's just ridiculous. ridiculous strength. Yeah. Yeah, just
0: incredible. Yeah. So anyways, there you have it. Yeah, uh, man. So what do we have with our uh, listeners today? Anybody writing
1: into us? Yeah, we got a few good letters, Bill. I also wanted to ask you, too, did you see the latest episode? I think it's the latest episode of... Uh, expedition Bigfoot. I think it was called call and response. Yeah. Well,
0: you know, what's happening there. Well, we're going to talk about that. Give, you know, what's happening with that show now
1: discovery plus.
0: Yeah. I'm
1: pissed yeah, about so, that
0: too. Yeah. Me too. Because I've been supporting a lot of these shows and people for a long time. And now they're just selling us out, uh, for another five or six bucks a month to get, Buy into where they're now showing it.
1: You yeah, know? and it's the same network. Like, that's right. That's what frustrates me? It's not like one network dropped them, and now they're only getting picked up on this pay service. This is the right. network, you know, saying, "Hey, we we got people that like this show. Let's see if we can get another four or five bucks a month. And by the way, for the four or five bucks a month, it still has ads." Yeah, I mean, I don't subscribe to it, but I read about it. Uh huh. If you don't want ads, well, then it's like six or six fifty a month. I'm like, what are you kidding me? Yeah. Well, look. You know, I've been talking up
0: Expedition Bigfoot since they made their debut last year, <laughs> and uh, I'm like a walking salesman for this show. And what they did this year was they launched the first two new episodes. Uh, the second of which was what you're talking about, call and response. Yep. And now since then, we haven't seen an episode in three weeks. Yep. They're on uh, this pay-per-view or Discovery whatever. Discovery Plus, yeah. Yeah, selling over there. you know. Yeah. yeah,
1: I am with you, Kev. I'm pissed off. Yeah. Now, I did read today. I looked into it because I'm looking at the chat boards, you know, on the internet. Yeah. And uh-huh. a lot of people are writing in to the cable providers, you know, like some of these notes were going into Comcast and right. saying, like, come on, guys. I'm paying one or 200 a month. Right? Why? You know, we gotta we gotta get Discovery to stop doing this because it's not Comcast either; it's Discovery. Yeah. Um, but uh, and then a spokesperson for Discovery said, "Well, we're trying out this experimental thing." So, I read that as there's hope. You know, as long as a whole bunch of people don't go out and give them the money, maybe they'll bring it back. Yeah, but
0: here's here's the thing, Kevin. Hope is one thing. But once again, here we have a bunch of frunking hoodlums making a money grab. Like, it's never enough. You follow what I'm saying? Yeah. And I've been a proponent of many of these shows. Uh, I watch a lot of the things on uh, Discovery and some other networks here or there, History and Travel and uh, a lot of the paranormal stuff, uh, the Bigfoot shows. Uh, I just want to see what people are doing. And I found Expedition Bigfoot to be exceptional. And to have the rug pulled out uh, when I was just getting hopped up for what they were doing, it just sickens me. It doesn't sit right with me. I don't care what your lousy experiment is. (laughs) And I hope somebody's listening to this show. Uh, uh, I don't care what your experiment is. I am freaking hot under the collar (laughs) about what you did. And you know what they're going to do, Kev? They're going to hold out. They're going to make us wait months and months and months uh, before we will catch up with the feed, you know, the end of next summer or something. Yeah. We'll see the rest of the show uh, that we could have been watching now and we're hoping to watch now. So they did it. They did it in a, a in a, uh, a conniving kind of way. They gave you a little bait, right? The first couple of episodes and the call and response. Yeah, and then they left you hanging.
1: Well, folks, I did not mean to set my brother off like this. Ah.
0: <laughs> but let's let's talk about it. Uh, obviously, you saw it. What is your opinion about that?
1: I loved the show. I thought it was great. Yeah. I mean, I I loved how um like they just kind of feel like they're being stalked and playing the sound this season more so than last season i was blown mm-hmm. away by the response right like the the first time they played the sounds from that area recordings of what were unknown sounds i thought it was super cool how you heard the coyotes chiming in yeah yeah and nothing else and then they played it again and then mm-hmm. they heard the same not the same, like an echo. I kind of expected to hear an echo. But it was a different sound, but in the same family, so to speak. Yeah, and loud. Super loud. That, that, and they were, you could tell they were agape and uh, in, in surprise around it. Now, you remember
0: last year, Dr. Maria Mayor yep. uh, was using those sensors, those army sensors. For detecting where, like a gunshot would come from or cannon fire, yep, yep. And she did that call and response with that sound unit, and they zeroed in the response as being they had a spot, a direct hit. This is where it came from, right? And that was, you know, that was like, and hey, was you that could a hear recording
1: it. or was that you? Because that was pretty. Uh, good. I
0: was there uh they were looking for me <laughs> i was up there picnicking with some other bigfoot <laughs> and i was disturbed when uh they they sounded off one of my relatives talking <laughs> cuz that sounds a so lot that,
1: like it again that sounds yeah, a lot yeah. like the recording yeah, yeah.
0: that's cuz it's not fake it's really me <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I tell you though, Kev. Once
1: again, would you be walking around the woods with those cats oh in West my Virginia? God, in the dark, pitch dark. Yeah. You know yeah. there's something there. I mean, this woman has experience with, uh, yeah. you know, gorillas, primates, and stuff like that. She's not afraid of stuff.
0: Yeah, and I don't know she's what that's like,
1: about. I don't know. You know, something's going on here. Yeah. All right, let's go to listener mail now that I got y'all keyed up. <laughs> <sighs> so our first.
0: <laughs> Sorry, there's a lot of Bigfoot around here I'm glad today. I got
1: my headphone on headphones yeah. on. Martha would be coming out howling <laughs> hearing that. Uh, all right. <laughs> so all where right. are we going? So our first email from our listeners comes in from Jack in London, England. And I'm wondering, uh. Bill, you think it could be a descendant of Springheel Jack?
0: Could be. Maybe it
1: is spring-heeled Jack. that's right, because he is kind of timeless. (laughs) What does Jack have to say? So he says, hi, guys. Love the podcast. Just listen to the Champ Lake Monster episode. Love these creepy sea creature legends. Kev, I liked how you contrasted the Lake Champlain monster to the Lake Iliamna monster in Alaska. Mm-hmm. But I think there's one other critical difference that you forgot to mention. Oh. Yeah, I like this. Yes. In the Lake Iliamna episode, you mentioned the extreme abundance of salmon in Lake Iliamna. Although there are a lot of fish in Lake Champlain, I don't think that there is the same abundance to support a family of these creatures. <laughs> what are your thoughts? Jack. Jack. And Jack, like, I think you're exactly right. Like, I neglected to mention that, and that was one of the cooler things of the uh, Lake Ileana episode was that, you know, the experts, when they go in and think of, again, it's not one of these creatures. You can't have one of these creatures naturally living. There has to be, you know, at least a good healthy handful of them. Um, There has to be a lot of food for them. And they were saying, I forget how many millions of... Salmon are in this lake every year. And certainly, you know, they could uh, easily eat 10,000 of them without putting a dent in the population of salmon.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And Lake Champlain doesn't have that kind of food source. So, you know, I'm not saying that Champ isn't there in Lake Champlain, but it is a significant difference as uh, spring Hill Jack, I mean Jack from London mentions.
0: <laughs> now, wait a second here. Are are we making some type of strange presumption that there's not enough fish in Lake Champlain to feed uh, some large
1: predators? Well, there's not as an abundance, you know, because I was making a contrast between the two lakes and I Uh didn't mention that, you know, so that's fair.
0: All right. Well, let's just say Jack was swimming over there and all of a sudden Jack was no more on the surface. That would make up for a couple of hundred pounds of salmon. I know, but you're talking about
1: Springhill Jack here. Like I think he's (laughs) got—I think he's got a couple of more tricks up his sleeve, even for a plesiosaur.
0: (laughs) Come get me if you can, you nasty little chap! Come
1: on over. I'm just innocently swimming here.
0: Boing! (laughs) Next thing you know, he's riding on his neck like a horse. Riding on his
1: neck like a dragon rider, Harry Potter. (laughs) Yahoo! Woo! <laughs> All right, we're going from one part of the UK to the Republic of Ireland. Hi. To Peter. Peter. He says, Hi, guys. I can't even do it. Been listening Hell, to the show while I'm working from home <laughs> and really enjoying the podcast. I'm also reading the books on my Kindle and telling everybody to check them out. yeah. I was wondering about the Bigfoot eating out of the deer feeder in volume one. The guy said the trail cam got a pretty good shot, pretty good shots of it. Can we get those pictures on your website? Would be really interesting. Thanks and take care of yourselves, Peter. Hey, Peter, (laughs) Sloncha.
0: I'll tell you something, Peter. Is that it? one thing you're gonna get kicking a can? <laughs> I Take that. So
1: what do you say? <laughs> Bill? these people—they didn't want to share their pictures. I take it.
0: Well, it's the same old story, I you know. People—people people are willing to talk, and they're not willing to share, you know. I hear you. Uh, you know, and you know, here's here's what I find in talking to people. Some people have already mentioned it. These things to other people. And in so doing, they've been made fun of. Or in their mind, at least, it wasn't taken the way they intended it to be taken. So now they're on the defensive side uh, talking to me like and saying, well, I knew I could tell you, Bill, because I tried telling this to some other people and they thought I was a jerk. Uh, So that's kind of how it goes. It's a weird, weird thing going on here with... I guess it has a lot to do with people, uh, how strong they are mentally uh, to kind of rebuff uh, people who would be sarcastic with them or about this subject matter. Yeah. And their their ability to share or not share or, or, or what's the word I'm looking for? Kind of clam up. Clam up, yeah. They don't want to talk about it anymore, but they'll talk to me. Because they know I'm in that that boat, so to speak. Well,
1: and we hear all of those stories, Bill, where, like, somebody's with one of their relatives, you know, maybe their uncle or their grandparent that they've known their whole life. And maybe they're 25 years old themselves. And then they mention something about the hairy man. And then their, you know, their grandparent speaks up and says, you know, now that you mention it, I saw one 50 years ago. But they never mentioned it before. Right,
0: and that's ideally what goes on, and I do that myself.
1: Really? You've I seen speak... one and you haven't told me?
0: No, I mean, I tell people all the time or I ask <laughs> the questions trying to evoke. That's how I got the picture of the Bigfoot footprint up in the Appalachians. yeah, yeah, yeah. no doubt about it. Uh, if I didn't mention to the guy I write books on Bigfoot and
1: have a Bigfoot podcast, I just opened the door. No, no doubt about it. I mean, I'm out uh, when I was up in Alaska two summers ago, Fishing, You know, with guides and stuff and hiking, every time I ran into a guide, I'd be like, hey, uh, you know, I do this podcast on Bigfoot. What do you think? You got any sightings? (laughs) And what kind of response did you get? Nothing? They they um, I think the guides are a closed group, honestly, like they would say, oh, yeah, you know, there's been people here that have seen them, you know, that have been on my trips. But they didn't want to be the Bigfoot guy. Right. You know, like they're just trying trying to make a living. They don't need a label on them. Right. They were just kind of
0: blowing it off, like being nice to you in a roundabout kind of way. They're working
1: for their tips, you know. I mean, that's what I mean. They don't want to be that guy, you know, so I speak.
0: Right. right. All right, Bill,
1: our last letter comes in from Ty in Tennessee. And he says, the Tennessee superfan returns. Greetings, Bill and Kevin. I hope all is well during these times. Unfortunately, I caught COVID back in October, and it was the weirdest sickness I've ever had. Hmm. The only symptom I was bestowed on was loss of my smell and taste. Hmm. I was confined to the four walls of my bedroom, along with my wife, whom thankfully wasn't affected because she suffers from lupus. I've been com- I've been commenting on the shows, but I've been diligently listening to you too. You guys are gaining substantial tread, and I'm happy for your guys' success. Now, formalities aside, have either of you seen the article where an Oklahoma representative proposed a bill of a hunting season for Big- Bigfoot? There you go. <laughs> that was it. Yeah, that was that was the yeah. letter I was talking about. Okay. Yeah.
0: Yeah, it's awesome. Uh, You know, and I I really appreciate uh, folks like Ty chiming in with us and giving us heads up on things. Yeah, no doubt about it.
1: Yeah. Because if you hadn't seen it, Kev, that would have been the first for me. I hadn't heard about it. Yeah, and Ty, by the way, I'm so glad that you had a mild form of COVID-19, you know, losing taste and smell. I know that's not fun, but at least it wasn't worse. And I'm extra glad that your wife... You know, whose uh, immunocompromised didn't uh, didn't catch the bug?
0: Yeah, yeah. Good for her and good for you. And by the way, that's good that that's all that happened to you, Ty. Because some people grow big feet and have a hankering for fresh deer meat. <laughs> so I'm glad that didn't happen to you. That's the COVID
1: twenty, Bill. <laughs> as in, as in, <laughs> as in twenty inch feet. <laughs> All right, folks what- <laughs> that's it. Um, another great episode. Thank you for your great five star reviews. You've really been coming through with those. Keep it up, please. You know, leave a five star review for us right now on your favorite podcast player. It's virtually the only means we have for attracting new listeners to the podcast are those five star reviews. So keep up the great reviews and by bringing more listeners in. We're able to continuously improve the quality of the podcast and also keep the podcast on a regular schedule, which we are pretty darn diligent about.
0: Yeah, you're right, kid. And by the way, if there's any shanty Irishman out there listening to this podcast today and you want to have a piece of WJ, remember this. If you're walking around in the foothills of Scotland... Always carry more gun than you think you're going to need. Sleep tight.